Let me invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and find Psalm 40. Psalm 40. That's the psalm that comes right after 39. I'm positive because that's my age. 39. And holding. 39 and holding. So find Psalm 40. Some of you are still 39 and holding also, aren't you? I can, I can see. You worked hard to get there. <laughs> That's great. Psalm 40. Did you know as a congregation we're reading through the book of Psalms and uh, uh, 40 is real close to the Psalm of the day at 41, but we're going to read Psalm 40. Verse 1. I waited patiently. Okay, let's stop right there. I waited patiently. <laughs> That's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to do. Uh, I, I continue to tell people my middle name is Patience, and, uh, but I'm trying to convince myself to be patient by saying that. So it's a really good technique. So the next time you get frustrated, just say your name, but put the word Patience in between your first name and last name. See how that works for you. I, I think you'll find it, it doesn't help at all. But, but try it anyway. It's a lot of fun. I waited patiently for the Lord. You know, some of the biggest mistakes I've made in my life is when I've not waited patiently for the Lord. Oh, my word. When I've opened my mouth when I shouldn't have opened my mouth, I should have waited patiently and let somebody else finish what they were saying because what I said had nothing to do with where they were going. Right? Have you been there and done that? I have. There are times when I've moved ahead. And I love Acts chapter 13 where Paul had packed all the camels up to go on a mission trip. And he tried to go north, right? And, and the spirit of Jesus forbade him. He tried to go west, and the Holy Spirit forbade him. He tried to go south, and finally God said, I want you to go this direction. So I really relate to that. He was, he was not waiting patiently on the Lord to, to tell him where to go, to point the sign. And so anyway, the psalmist David, right? David wrote this psalm. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's the hardest thing to do is to wait on God to intervene in a situation, in a circumstance, when it would be really easy for you just to jump in and do it. Uh, but then it's not going to be done correctly. Right? Uh, so I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. God always hears your cry. Uh, he's always listening. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. Have you ever felt like you were in a slimy pit? Have you? Tough situation, bad relationship, something went south. It's really bad. I think perhaps anybody with any age on them has felt that slimy pit, that mud and that mire. Felt like we've been stuck. We can't get out of it. Here's the here's the king of Israel. Here's the king of Israel, right? He had all the resources at his power. The king of all Israel. He could have said, "I want some water." from that cave over there, from that well over there. And his mighty men would have gone through the enemy's territory to get him a cup of water. Oh, by the way, they did. Yeah, right? A cup of cold water for the king. David could have summoned anything, and yet he still finds himself mired up in something in his life. Right? But he set me free on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Don was uh, coming to the church building today to get ready to play 
the keyboard for us, and he was sharing with us after we all got here how he had put a song on, on his phone. He'd been listening to it. He said he listened to it 700 times before he got to the church building today. <laughs> it was so good. And then we got, he, he played it another 200 times for us. It's a really, really great song. We'll probably be singing it next week or the week after sometime. But God had put that song on your heart. Well, he put it on the artist who wrote it, obviously. But this morning it was on your heart. And you shared it with us. And God does that. He'll put a song in your heart. He likes doing that. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in him. This is all about a testimony. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But this is all about a testimony. People will see and fear or worship. That's a better way to interpret us today. God does not want us fearing him. In the sense of I'm scared of God. He wants us to reverence him, to worship him, to honor him. Many will see and worship God and put their trust in him because of what he's done in my life. And that's a testimony. That's a testimony. All of you have a testimony this week of what God did in your life. All of you. Now, for some of you, it could be, well, I got up every day. I went to work every day. I came home every day. Right? There could be options of that, right? You could have got up today and gone to the hospital for three days. Right? Right? So you got up today. You got up yesterday. The day before that, that's a testimony. How many people have you told, hey, I got up today? All right, let's practice that right now. One, two, three. I got up today. See, what a testimony to the Lord. You're here. Right? Right? How about this one? I've got a smile on my face. One, two, three. I got a smile on my face. Come on, Ken, smile. Quit yawning. <laughs> Caught him yawning over there. That's a testimony. You know, an average boring week is a testimony to God. Right? Now, you wouldn't believe the week some of our members have had this week. I won't go into the details, but there were some folks that they had a, they had a bumpy week. Okay? I'll just put it that way. Still having a bumpy week. People will see and worship God and trust in Him because of my testimony. So when you go to work tomorrow, you can simply say, I had a boring week last week. Praise Jesus. And your co-worker is going to say, well, what do you mean? I thought... I thought maybe you would have some exciting stuff and all these kind of things are going on and you praise God. And you say, no, I just had a great, boring week. It was wonderful. <laughs> praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. That's a great testimony to say that my week was boring because it could be a lot worse than boring. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. Happy is the man. Hello, happy. Happy is the man, right? That's what the word blessed means. Happy is the man who is already, that's what the word blessed means. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who, do not, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false God. Happy is the man who trusts in God. Are you, you're already blessed. That Hebrew word, same in the Greek word, it means it's already a state of being for you. Happy is the man, blessed is the man who already puts his trust in God. Now, here's the thing. You don't have to put all of your trust in God. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Most of us have a hard time putting all of our trust in God, don't we? We're humans. We're humans. There are things we still want to hang on to and manage. And God says, well, I'll manage that for you. Or you can manage it yourself. And if you manage it yourself, I will tell you how to manage it if you'll listen to me. But if you don't, you can still manage it yourself. It's okay. Go ahead. It's not going to turn out quite like you want it to. But go ahead. He's not mad at us 
when we don't trust him. He's not, he didn't have a two-by-four to smack us upside the head. Remember, God's two-by-four is Romans two-by-four, which says it's God's kindness that leads us towards repentance. That's God's two-by-four, what the Bible says. God says, if you'll just listen, if you'll just listen, I'm not out to hurt you. And if you don't have all of your trust in me, that's fine. But just trust me with a few things. And we'll start there. And that's how we'll build our relationship. You just trust me with these two things. And, and then when you feel good about that, we'll move to the third thing. Right? Trust me with your kids. Trust me with your finances. Trust me with your job. Trust me with the, the next job I've got planned for you. Whatever it is, we, we trust. Many, oh Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The things you have planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, there would be too many to declare. Wow. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11 says what? Not to do you harm, but to give you hope and a future. Everything's for good. <laughs> That's it. That's a good version. Yes, yes. Jeremiah knew the same thing. The things you've planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak or tell them, there'd be too many to declare. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 139 was saying the same thing. God, you, I'm fearfully wonderfully made. If I started thinking about all the ways I'm fearfully wonderfully made, I can't even count them. I can't even imagine what you've done for me. God does have great things planned for us. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Catch this. You ready? That God planned in advance for us to do. Your Father in heaven planned a lot of things for you to do. Maybe it was to work in retail, and then from there going to counseling, and then from there going to real estate, right? And from there go to be the president of a company somewhere in Nashville. Right? You just, you don't know how God's going to work in your life. He's got all these things planned for us. And you know why he plans those things for us? It's so we can be a testimony that somebody needs to hear. Somebody out there needs to hear your testimony of what God's doing in your life. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Now that sounds painful, right? I don't have pierced ears. Not planning on getting my ears pierced. Maybe yours are pierced, but it looks pretty painful to me, right? What does that mean? My ears you have pierced. It means you've opened my ears to hear your voice. That's what the word pierced here means. God's opened my ears so I can, I can hear him. I can hear him talk. I can have a relationship with him. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but you've opened my ears so I can have a relationship with you. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. In other words, he's saying, you don't want my religion. You want my relationship. Right? You don't want me burning stuff on the altar. You want my heart. Isn't that beautiful? This is David. This is King David who wanted to build a temple for God, right? So that the sacrifices could be made in this magnificent structure. Now, he didn't get to do it. Solomon did. But David had that in his heart. And David came to the realization here, wait a minute, God, God doesn't want all that. He doesn't want me making all these sacrifices. That's not what he wants. He just simply wants a relationship. And so I said, David said, then I said, here I am. I have come. Here I am. Reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6, right? Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, right? 
and there were angels that filled the room and they were and they flew all around singing holy 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 is the lord god almighty and isaiah said and i said woe is me i'm a man of unclean lips i live among a people of unclean lips sinful people woe am i what am i going to do and i heard a voice that said i, I got an assignment i got an assignment who's going to take this assignment and i said here am i send me here am i send me send me isaiah cried it out david cried it out here i am i heard you then i said here it is it is written about me in your scroll i desire to do your will O my god your law is within my heart i proclaim righteousness in the great assembly i do not seal my lips as you know O lord i do not hide your righteousness in my heart i speak of your faithfulness and salvation I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Now, the great assembly is when people gathered for church. You know, back in the day when, when David had church, as we call it having church, we know the church is people. But back in the day when they had church, everybody talked. Everybody gave a testimony. Everybody shouted, gave a shout out to God. It wasn't just the preacher standing up there talking for 20, 30 minutes, hoping no longer than that, right? It was everybody giving. Here's King David. Here's the king of Israel. Humbling himself, right? Speaking about God in the great assembly. He could have just not showed up to church. He was king. He could do whatever he wanted to. He could send some of his ambassadors to church and say, go tell me what the preacher, and come back and tell me what the preacher said this morning. He could have done that. He could have said, go bring the scroll and bring it to my office and read it to me here. He was the king. He could do whatever he wanted to. But David shows up at church and stands up in the midst of everybody and says, I've got to tell you all something. I've got five things I want to say. I've got five things I want to give a testimony about in front of everybody. In front of everybody. And I know the number one fear in America is talking in front of somebody. You can read that in statistics. It's the number one fear. It's talking in front of somebody. Here's King David. He wasn't afraid. Now, we also know King David wasn't afraid to dance in the street for God. Remember that story? Right? Took his coat off, right? And he's dancing in the street and it's in his drawers, right? Right? And people are looking at him. Oh, that's the king dancing in his drawers. And his, his wife, one of his wives was up there looking. You know, she got all over him. What are you doing down there? Goes, are you crazy? You look stupid. He said, well, I'll just continue to look stupid then. I'm going to dance for God because of what he's done in my life. Didn't hold back. Complete abandon. Right? And I know we've said this before. You go to a football game, it was complete abandon. There are even people that take their clothes off. You heard of them? They're called streakers. <laughs> right? You ever heard of that? Right? And if you watch any college football game, there are these gentlemen, well, there are these males. <laughs> I'm not sure if they're gentlemen yet. There are these males all lined up with their shirts off, and they've got the name of the school written on their chest. Have you seen that? And it's 42 degrees or 22 degrees, and they're, they're going nuts, right? They're just absolutely going nuts for their team. And we come to church, and we go, crickets, crickets, crickets. David's like, man, I'm, I'm going to go crazy for God. I'm going to dance with everything I've got before him. 
I'm going to sing with everything I've got for him. And I'm going to stand up in the great assembly. I don't care who's there, even if the high priest is there. And I'm going to say what God's done in my life. And that's what he's done. Five things. First, he says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. Now, righteousness for us was a little bit different than David. But for us, it's the relationship that we have. I'm going to proclaim the right relationship that I have with God. That's what we would say today. He would say righteousness more tending to be the law, that the law was righteous. And we're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Right? So we wouldn't say the law uh, was righteous. We would say our relationship is righteous because Christ made us righteous. He is our righteousness. Right? We don't, there's none, nothing good in us. There's nothing right in us. God made us righteous. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross for us. He said, but I'm going to proclaim this righteousness. I'm going to proclaim the relationship that I have. Secondly, he said, and he says, I will not hide this in, in my heart. In other words, I, I, know I'm, I, I know I have a relationship with you, but I'm not going to hide it from everybody. Secondly, I will speak of your faithfulness. I will speak of your faithfulness. And what he's referring to is every promise that God made in, in the Bible up to that point, every promise God made to him personally God had kept that promise in his life. He says, I'm going to proclaim your faithfulness. You are faithful. You have been faithful to me. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone for your salvation today? Are you? Are you? Well, then you have a relationship. And so the second question I ask you, has God been faithful since you gave your life to him? Has he been faithful to be there for you? I'm not saying... Life was terrible. Life hadn't been terrible. You haven't had those bumps in the road. But has he been faithful even through the bumps? He's been, he's been faithful in the relationship. Remember, this life is just 80 years or 98. You know, if you make it that long or 70 if you make it that long. It's just, it's just a blip on the screen of, of, our, of our life. You know, we, we have a beginning, but we have no end. We are, we are eternal creatures. We either spend eternity with God in heaven or we spend eternity in hell with Satan. But we are eternal creatures. Nope, we have a beginning, so we're not God. He has no beginning. We have a beginning. We have no end. And so this relationship began with you at some point, And in that point, God has been faithful to you to be your God, your Savior, your Lord. He's been faithful to be all of those things in, in your life regardless of what happens physically in our lives in this short 80-year window that we have. You've heard me say it before. We're just on an 80-year mission assignment. God sent us from heaven, right? Sent us from heaven down here for 80 years to talk about how wonderful he is, and then we go back to be with him if we're trusting in Jesus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hope it's a little more than that. Absolutely. 80, 80 billion years, whatever it is, a trillion years. It's my granddaughter says a trillion times a trillion squared times pi, whatever. I speak of your faithfulness. I also speak of your salvation. December 13th, 1970 is when I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I remember it just like it's today. Do you remember the day you gave your heart and life to Jesus? You remember that day? David says, I speak of your salvation. I speak of your salvation. Now, in Hebrew, the word salvation means many things. It can be healing. It can be health. It can be hope. It can, it can be a lot of things, right? It can be 
God restoring the right mind, the right attitude. It can be all those things, not just being saved uh, so that you live in, in heaven with God for eternity. It can mean a lot of things. And that's what David was saying. I, I'm going to shout for your salvation. And for David, it could have been salvation over one of his enemies, one of the armies that came against Israel. He was the king. He might say something like that. I do not conceal your love. And uh, this, this word in, uh, in, in the Hebrew is it's obviously a deeper word, but I don't conceal your love. It's a steadfast love. The love of the Lord endures forever, the psalmist says. And he says it over and over again, over and over again. The Lord's love endures forever. And that's that steadfast love that you never have to question. You never have to say, God, do you love me? That's a prayer you never have to pray. Ever. For God so... Everlasting life. If God's willing to give his son for you because of your sins, then you never have to question his love for you. If he would give up his child for your sinful self, for your sinful soul, he loves you. You never have to doubt his love. Ever. And so David says, I'm, I'm going to tell about your love. And the last thing he says, he says, I'm also going to tell about your truth in the great assembly. I'm going to tell about your truth in the great assembly. Isaiah 59, verse 14 and 15 says, So justice is driven back. Righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. It is nowhere to be found. That's the, that's the times we're living in. Truth has stumbled in the streets. You can't find the truth anymore. You, you turn on the news site. And it's hard to know whether you're reading truth anymore. What you, read, what you read today is found out tomorrow to be a lie, what you read the day before. It's, and it's amazing how quickly, and it's because of the, the Internet, of course, it's amazing how quickly untruths travel around the world. It's instantaneous. Truth has stumbled in the streets, certainly in America and around the world. David said, I'm going to tell the truth in the congregation. I'm going to stand up and tell the truth about who you are. And I'm going to stand up and tell the truths that are written in your word. Now, David knew the word of God. That's how he could stand up and tell his truths. And one of the truths I've just shared with you this morning is you never have to doubt God's love for you. you there's not, catch this now, there's not a person on the planet that ever has to doubt God's love for them. All seven billion people, if half of them are lost and without Christ, they never have to doubt God's love for them either because he still loves them. You get that, right? The Muslim never has to doubt that God loves him, right? The Buddhist never has to doubt that God loves him. Now, they need to understand that. They need to be, disciple, be discipled to where they understand that. But all seven billion people, it's a truth that God loves all seven billion. And he loved the seven billion before this seven billion. And the seven billion before that, ever how many people has lived on this planet? He's loved every one of them equally. Now, he's parented us differently. Right? Smart God. Right? But he's loved us all equally. Everybody that's ever been born, he's loved them. He loved us before we were born. It's because the Bible says that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. 
Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Before we were created, the plan was already in place. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God loves us. And so from Adam to Jesus was 4,000 years, plus or minus. Uh, so Jesus knew for 4,000 years what his plan was. 4,000 years in, in, our, in our years. 4,000 years. He knew that, yet he still continued to come to this earth and die for us. Thank you, Jesus. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord, and may your love and your truth always protect me. Uh, verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Will you say that with me? The Lord be exalted. The Lord be exalted. So you just celebrated in the great assembly. You just gave a testimony in the great assembly. I hope that you'll sometime this week take time for these five points to thank God somewhere in your car, in your home, wherever you find yourself, to proclaim his righteousness. That is that right relationship. Father, I thank you for the relationship that we have. Speak of his faithfulness. How has he been faithful to you? Just name one thing. I speak of your salvation. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for me. Thank you for saving me, for finding me, and delivering me from my sins. Give him thanks for that. And the specific date, if you know it and remember it. Speak of his love for you. If all you can say is, God, I trust your love. If that's all you've got on that particular day, just say it. God, I, I trust your love. I trust your love. And then speak of his truth. Read a scripture in the Bible and read it back to God and say, God, I believe in this scripture. I believe in the truth that I find here. Say it out loud. Spend some time this week doing that. Those five things. Will you do that? Those five things. That's a great way to show God that you love him. Right? Remember we talked about fortitude, the four ways to live life. Love God. Right? F-O-U-R, fortitude. Love God. Love yourself. Love others. And love creation. This is a love God. Right? Five things. I hope you'll do it. We're going to share communion in just a minute. And sharing communion is one way we show God that we love him. But it's also one way we show one another that we love him. Because Jesus said that as we do this, we honor the body. We honor the body. And when we take a meal together, we are honoring God, but we're honoring one another. To eat at someone's dinner table is a high honor. For someone to invite you over to their house for a meal, it's a high honor. It was back then. It still is today. This is a meal. There's many things that the Lord's Supper symbolizes, but one of the things, it's a meal. We're, we're having a meal with Jesus, and we're having a meal with one another. That's why we take the Lord's Supper. It's one of the, one of the many reasons. So as we share, we're showing God that we love him. We're also showing one another that we love one another. Right? And we're doing it in the great assembly, so it's a testimony. You're about to give testimony to your salvation. Right? That's what communion represents. You're about to give testimony to God's love. Jesus died on the cross for us. You're about to give love, uh, testimony to his faithfulness. Right? That's what the Lord's Supper does for us. You're going to give testimony to his truth. His truth. That his blood washes away all of our sins. That's the truth. Amen? You believe that? You believe he washed away your sins? Well, get happy about it. Because he did. Amen? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this scripture. And Father, we, in our hearts and maybe out loud, give testimony 
to these five things. And we say, we say thank you for the relationship. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for faithfulness. Thank you for your love. And thank you for your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.